All right, everybody, welcome to RDO podcast number one. We're here with Jerry Jones. And uh, let me just say, Jerry has quite an interesting story, uh, very inspirational, faced a lot of adversity. And um, Jerry, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you doing right now? Where are you based out of for those who don't know? Yeah, uh, Eric, uh, good morning to you, and I'm glad to be here. Um, as you said, my name is Jerry Jones. I live in Fort Worth, Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metroplex. And uh, what I do for an occupation right now is I'm a small business owner and entrepreneur in every aspect of the word. Uh, you know, what we do now is, is I own and operate a small lawn care business, um, we also uh, trim and remove trees and build uh, custom fences, <clears throat> which um, is a pretty decent small business venture and keeps us busy and is a nice livelihood and really, really, um, really takes a lot of my time and focus uh, and productivity that I apply uh, in those areas and just and comes out really nice for the family as far as income goes. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm really trying to say is that, you know, the income versus working for someone else is there's just no comparison whatsoever. Uh, couldn't imagine me not having the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, at all. Absolutely. And I do want to say first, first and foremost, uh, like I told you before, I knew right away you were going to be the first guest and I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. You're, you're one of my best friends for, you know, hands down and you, man, I just can't begin to explain your story inspired me. And um, we're going to cover a little more about how you got into this, how you got started. Um, but let's take it back just a minute. And so tell people you you're from Abilene originally right yeah I was uh I was born and raised in West Texas uh Abilene Texas specifically um and uh and you know the best way I know to um describe what caused me to aspire and mold my character and my traits is just to elaborate a little bit about the adversities and events that transpired in my life starting in early childhood. Uh, and that's what molded my character and, uh, and, and created abilities and that entrepreneurial spirit from a young age. Uh, do you, do you and, think that that's something that was just in you? from birth or do you think it's something that's more external and environmental or maybe a little bit of both? What are your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts on that, Eric, is that, um, are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Absolutely. Yep. They, they okay. work in, in series. Your viewers may be familiar I apologize. Do oh, no, no. Give them a rundown. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar, give them a quick uh, a rundown. Viewers, yeah, a lot of your viewers may not be familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
but it, it's just like a, a pyramid. It's a triangle, and at the very bottom is, number one, survival. Uh, you know, you, we as human beings uh, do have animalistic instincts that are there, you know, that tell us, hey, look, we got to survive. And so we know that, you know, first things first, you've got to have shelter. You've got to have food. Um, and the things that we have to do to obtain shelter and obtain food, um, you know, vary in, in, in a number of ways. Some of us don't really face adversity and we grow up in uh, a middle class, for example, household to where we are taught from an early age that, hey, look, you go to school, you do well, and you learn these things and you get out of school and you just get a job and you become a good employee and you're just stuck there forever. That, I don't agree with that. That's not my spirit. What inspired me was, is this at an early age, um, bottom line, we didn't have any money. I, I came from a poor family and uh, I lost my mother at an early age. Um, my father was uh, just about went insane behind the, the, the tragic death of my mother. I was, my brother was six and I was seven. So I grew up in a household uh, a single parent household with a father that was a young man, still a young man. My mom was 15 right. when I was born and my dad 17. Wow. So they were children having children. And so to try to get back on focus about and, 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 and keep this in, in the right aspect. Um, what inspired me was, is the fact that, Hey, look, you have to survive. We didn't have money. And it's just like that caveman, for example. That caveman can have his cave and he can have some fire in there. And he can, so he's got shelter and he's got warmth, but you got to have something to eat. And so then comes that safety aspect. So the caveman looks out and says, Oh my God, look at all these, uh, these uh, carnivorous dinosaurs that will eat me up. But he will still dash across and take that risk in order to obtain food because he has to have it. Right. And that's part of that example of part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that we will take a risk in the safety factor. Um, so as a young child, I didn't have a lot of choice about um, about life. It was just, hey, look, you know, here's the street. It is what it is. And, you know, what are you going to do if you want your clothes washed, you're seven, wash them yourself. You want to cook something to eat, cook it yourself. Um, you know, you can't rely on, uh, there's not a mom there to do it for you. It's I not going to happen. I think you just nailed it with that. You said at one point, when you don't have a choice. And I think, you know, it's sad to say, but I, I think that's, what you and I have most in common and what everyone else who's who seems to be extremely high achieving and you know you see it from an early age one of the things I've noticed and maybe I'm wrong here but um, maybe people will leave feedback on this and and share their story as well but 
I think not having a choice can sometimes inspire the greatest level of achievement in certain individuals. And I know we all handle struggle and adversity differently, but I think that's one common underlying uh, circumstances, not having a choice. So I want you to keep going with this absolutely, and, and tell people, you know. Yeah. And so how. Good. Yeah. And so how I can correlate the, the story I was uh, telling about the caveman is, is this in this respect is that 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 individual knew he had to go get something and make it back to his. You know, he went to go hunt or whatever. But the point being is, is that is this is how I can correlate my life to that is that I asked my dad one time for a dollar. And I said, Dad, can I have a dollar? And he said, yes, son, you can have a dollar. And he took me by the hand and he walked me to the door. He said, do you see that out there? Just like the caveman looked out. And I said, yes, sir. He said, go get you a dollar. Yep. And that was a stern lesson. But <laughs> guess what? I went and got that dollar and I've been getting it ever since. You sure did, didn't you? <laughs> yes, now sir. people I think we live in a time and and you know, just a time and place where people aren't allowing their kids to grow up. You know, there's there's societally it's acceptable to have this general lack of responsibility, lack of accountability, you know, across the board. Uh, they, we've got people living at home. Some people never leave home, but some people are living at home well into their twenties now, you know, and that, that for me wasn't an option. And looking back, I don't, I don't think that was quite as common, you know, that, um right wasn't it wasn't quite as accepted but it seems like we're taking a dive away from responsibility and the only person it's hurting if you're doing that is you i mean it's it doesn't do you any good but you and i have that in common where early early adult responsibilities i mean i was cooking most of my my food for myself at age five, I started cooking for myself at age five. I started, and I don't, I don't want this to come across the wrong way because, you know, I was raised by my father, um, single parent. Um, you know, my, my mom and dad separated when they were two. And then you just have basically everybody was thrown into the, into the game at that point. You know, they were young as Absolutely. well. And um, things happen. And, and once they happen, you can't change them. You can't change what happened, but you can do your best with it. And I, I think they, looking back, I think they were doing their best. But plain and simple, um, you know, my dad was overwhelmed. And there were a lot of times he was working. I was home by myself and having to figure stuff out from the age of four, five years old, you know. And that's that's a tough situation for everybody. But I can say, um, you know, I started cooking, cleaning, doing my laundry, all this stuff and taking on again, even a lot more than that that I won't go into right now. But 
I think that was the single most important factor in me becoming who I am. Some of it was for the worse and some of it was for the better. You got to, you got to take the good with the bad and make what you can out of it. So I want you to go into the story of how you made your first dollar. Tell me what, what does a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid do to get out there and start making some money? Cause you got people who are grown, who have resources, yeah. who are making excuses. So yeah. how did you get started? Yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, at that point, uh, my next question was, because you got to remember, you know, I was seven at that time, seven years old. Yep. And uh, and so my question to my dad was, is, well, you, dad, how am I going to do that? And he opened the door and we stepped out on the porch and he said uh, it was it happened to be uh, in the fall and pecans had started falling on the ground. And I knew nothing about selling any pecans. And he said, see those pecan trees? I said, yes, sir. He said, go pick those pecans up, put them in a bag, and you can take them and sell them. And he said, uh, see all those leaves? You can rake these people's yards. Now, keep in mind, I'm seven years old at the time. This is a seven-year-old. Right. And that's, so that's basically second grade. <laughs> that's basically second, second grade. grade. Yeah. Second grade. I was in second grade. And... uh and so that's exactly what I did. I started uh, picking up pecans, and I don't even recall why I wanted a dollar. I don't remember why I asked him for a dollar, but I did. Yep. Uh, so I just don't remember why. But it started a series of events in my life that created aspirations in me that have never subsided at all. Um, and where I went from that is is this: uh, in all honesty is uh you know i didn't just stop at that dollar i made that dollar and we used to take those pecans we did take those pecans to a uh, feed store and the feed store would buy them from me and pay me by weight they would weigh them and, and pay me for them i don't recall the amount it was per pound i just don't recall that it's been so long um <clears throat> but um during the process of all of that um i was you know, still trying to figure out how I could make more money at seven. And, uh, you know, by the time I was eight, I was at Gibson's Discount Center. And uh, back then, which was a discount store that had lawn, lawn equipment and, you know, hunting departments and the, the modern, kind of like Walmart is today. Yeah, just and, to give uh, people a quick reference about what year was this, do you think? So we, um, we forgot to tell well, people how old you yeah, are. And, and... Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm not quite 60. Uh, I'll be 59 my coming this coming birthday. Um, but, yeah, I was born in 1962. So okay. we're talking about the year 1969 when all this was happening. Uh, okay. You know, still during the Vietnam era, uh, you know, we the country was at war. And uh, during this time of my childhood, and uh, and and so yeah, you know, 1969 we're looking at. You know, that's been a while ago. Um. So yeah, I was I was uh, I was at Gibson's Discount Center, and I had uh, I had seen guys 
uh, older than me, older than me, um, mowing yards. And so I was like, man, I could do, if I had a lawnmower, I could do that. And uh, so uh, where where my aspiration went at that point was, man, I've got to get me a lawnmower. And I saw one at Gibson's Discount Center, and it was $35. Yeah. And um, I used to just, I remember I just, when I had some extra time, that the store was about 10 blocks, and I'd go over there, and I'd just look at that thing. I'd check the carburetor out, and I, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And I hadn't been, <laughs> I'm just admiring it. Yeah. And I hadn't been able to save enough money to, to purchase it yet. And this one clerk, this one lady, she had seen me numerous times come over there. And she walked up and she says, uh, golly, she said, you sure do like that lawnmower a lot. And I was like, I'm going to buy that lawnmower. Yeah. And she said, you are. What are you going to do with the lawnmower? I said, I'm going to mow yards and I'm going to make money. And she <laughs> said, really? <laughs> She was surprised, you know, here, there's a seven, almost eight year old talking to her, telling her that he's going to make money. Oh, and yeah. so she was like, are you, you know, yeah, she was just, so she tells me about layaway. So about giving some money and then, you know, they'll hold the item for you. And she was like, you know, if you really want to do it, that's what you should do to make sure they don't sell out of them. So I ran home immediately, and I can't remember exactly what I got, but I think I brought back like $6 or something yeah. and gave it to them. And by that next spring, um, I turned eight uh, in, in, uh, in June, but by the, I remember it was, um, it was by the time I had turned eight, um, I started mowing. I was already mowing at eight. And uh, and I had paid that lawnmower off and started mowing yards at three dollars a piece. Um, and uh, I would push it down the street. I had a gallon gas can. I had a little broom to clean up. I had snippers. You know, back then you didn't have weed eaters. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, I would just push my stuff down the street, and before long, I had a a nice little mowing route uh that i could walk to within within a mile area and yeah. you know i just go yard to yard yard mowing so uh, let's let's money. give let's give a little context though because like even myself at first you know thinking about this i wasn't quite sure like what 35 dollars was back then and i know that sounds weird oh but my god $35 for those listening, $35 in 1969, 1970 was really equivalent to about $350. Am I right? That's probably right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's probably right. Just understand that this is basically a seven, eight year old kid out there scrounged up enough side work, essentially doing the most basic stuff he could do picking up leaves selling pecans and and what have you to to really round up an equivalent of 350 dollars to then buy a mower so and reinvested everything 
to then buy a mower, which he could go out and make exponentially more with doing grown man work as, as an eight year old. I used to knock on doors in that, in that course of time, I would even knock on people's doors and take out their trash for a dime. Wow. I would ask, That's... can I take out your trash? And will, will you give me a dime to take your trash? And they'd look down at this little kid, and most of them would let me do it. Yeah, you got to ask. And I'm sure you got some no's. I'm sure you got some, get your ass out of here, or, you know, come on, <laughs> don't come back here again. I know you had to get some of those because that's part of it. I did get but some of To have I the spirit. Get, I did get <laughs> I did have, get some of those. What the hell's wrong with you, kid? Yeah. Where's your parents? I'm sure you got some oh of them. My God. <laughs> yeah. But to have the spirit Absolutely. to keep going, man, is that's the that's that is the entrepreneurial spirit, and it's something that's even beyond that. It's just having enough heart to get back up when life knocks you down, you know, and and when times are tough, you can't curl up in a ball. You got to get up and no, you got to just do it. Yeah. So that's absolutely, that's incredible that you took that initiative so early on. So let's jump back into that. You got, you got your mower. Eventually you paid it off on layaway doing the, the this other stuff uh, like we talked about. Yeah. And then you finally got your mower. So tell me about it. Yes. Yeah. Let's go back from there. Well, um, and, and, and really the reason, you know, to keep in focus, the reason we're sharing this story is not to focus on me or to focus on you, but to share uh, and be an inspiration to others that can understand that when they face adversity, that there are ways to do things. And that, you know, I understand that everyone is not just born with the entrepreneurial spirit. But there are adversities in everyone's life that they have to overcome, and they do not have to be uh, molded into just you'll be the good lifelong employee. So, but with that being said, with that being said, the next thing that I did, um, like I said, I was mowing yards. Three dollars was the normal size yard. And four dollars was like a really big yard, you know, four bucks. And again, and equivalent so, equivalent to about thirty, forty bucks today. Basically. Yes. About yes. ten it's about ten times ten difference. times. Yeah. So absolutely. That, that, right. that's correct. Yeah. That's Keep correct. going. And yeah, and so um and so, uh, you know, I took that mower, and that's what I did. And I did it on a daily basis, religiously. Man, I took care of that lawnmower like it was, I mean, it was my, it was, not like it was. It was my prized possession. I loved that lawnmower more than I liked my bicycle, you know? <laughs> that's saying something, because your bike, your bike was your I life mean, as I a kid. how to sharpen the blade, I learned how to sharpen the blades, change the plugs, you know, keep the filters clean, how to change the oil. I didn't take that thing to the shop and have someone do that. And I maintained it religiously. Um, so, you know, I took really good care of it. So, but to get, not to get sidetracked, but, uh, but so 
here I was, a kid mowing yards, and I started accumulating a significant amount of money um, right away. I mean, people would let, they were not afraid to let me mow their yard. You know, they would pay $3 to have their yard mowed. Yep. And you'd be surprised. I might mow 10 of those in a day, you know? That's um, a, when that's I, just... Not during school. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, not during school time, but in during summer, I might mow 10 a day. Yeah, that's and, incredible. You know, people can't hardly believe that, but I was, I would start early and I would quit at dark. And, and it didn't matter it. to me if it was Saturday or Sunday or what day it was, you know, I was going to mow that and get that money if I had to get it. And know? this is an old, I mean, and, it was new at the time, but this is a very simple push mower. I mean, for those who mower. don't understand, I've, I've been in the lawn business myself. Um, I learned a lot from you in order to get started on that. And, you know, I just recently sold my accounts off and, you know, I'm doing the cleaning full time. But I know firsthand you're working with a push mower. That is that is a lot more work uh, than being out there with a self or a riding mower or any of the luxuries we have. So you were really what I'm trying to say here is you were not self-propelled. Yeah. Now you were out there grinding. Yeah. You doing that. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. At that age, I didn't mow ten yards every single day. I didn't do that, but I had, but I had been known to do it. You know, right. ten yards. You were doing and, as much uh, as you could, was, basically. As much as I could. Yeah. As much as I could. And so, what started happening was, is, is, um, man, right there. After a while, after things really got to roll, well, let me back up a little bit. Is, um. I walked into Citizens Bank. Uh, by this time, I was I was nine. I had accumulated. I was I was making money, and so um, I was nine years old, and uh, and I was honestly stashing my money at that time, mm-hmm. just hiding it. Yeah, smart uh, move. <laughs> so I had I was hiding it, you know, and uh, so I was at Citizen. I walked in Citizens Bank. And I told the lady that at the the attendant, the cashier there, uh, the clerk, and I says, "Hey, listen, I need to open a bank account." And she started laughing. <laughs> she said, "You?" She couldn't believe I'm nine years old. I'm nine, mm-hmm. and I want to open a bank account. Yep. And she said, "Are you serious?" And I said, "I'm serious. I want to open a bank account." She said, "But you have to have a social security card." And I said, "I have a social security card." My mom got killed, and I told her. I told her the story about my mom dying. I said, my mom got killed, and part of that that we went through, and, she, and I said, I have a Social Security card at home. And yeah. she said, are you serious? And I said, I'm serious. And she said, well, if you'll bring me a Social Security card, I'll open you a bank account. I ran home as fast as I could run, got my Social Security card, went back to that same lady, handed her my Social Security card. She opened a bank account for me, a savings account, gave me a little small book, my little bank book that I'd write in my deposits or any withdrawals. Yeah, you had to keep your own ledger. My first bank account when I was nine at Citizens Bank. I sure did. Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So 
yeah let's take it let's take it back one step i know we're getting a little out of chronicle chronological order here but you told me a story that i think people need to hear and i think it's part of the the motivation here um you know behind taking care of yourself and your younger brother so when all this mm, yeah. happened with with your mom uh passing away all this hardship at that time it was it was coming up school time and you you guys did not have shoes is that correct yeah we didn't have any shoes to wear and yeah. um and it was it was gonna it was gonna be uh it was gonna be time for school and uh and we didn't have my brother you know he had man an old pair of shoes that was just all torn all to pieces and i didn't have any shoes to wear either and uh so there was a guy i had seen this guy walking now keep in mind where we lived at were gravel streets we didn't live uh on paved streets right you know, we lived in an old dilapidated house that was built like in the teens or something yeah. uh and now but it provided a shelter but irregardless of that a guy would walk by and i would see him coming back and i was like i asked him one day i said what is that he said he had this shiny substance in this container and he said that's copper and i said what are you going to do with that he said i'll sell it and i'll get money for it and I asked him, I said, well, where do you get that? He said, on the back side of the dump ground, I walk over there. And he said, there's places where they dump that, that uh, excess. It came from somewhere, I don't know where, but it was just remnants of yeah. copper is what it was. And um, some manufacturing processes, either from Timex or whatever, I'm not sure, that these remnants, these little tiny remnants ended up in the garbage. And you'd have to go through the garbage to get those remnants of copper. So it was about three miles, uh, more or less, um, to the dump ground. Well, we didn't have a ride, so we walked. We walked to the dump ground, and we picked up copper all day long. We got there as early as we could get there, um, you know, at daylight. So that we would have plenty of time to do this, and um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was on a Saturday. I don't I don't really remember, but it seems like it was a Saturday to get it. And um, so I picked up a, quite a bit more than my my little brother, but he still had quite a bit more than he could carry. He was having to drag it, and so we uh, we made our way back into uh coming down pine street coming back into town and i had already asked the guy enough questions to where i knew where this place was he was talking about and uh so we stopped there to sell what we had uh salvaged that day what we had picked up and there was a, a man there his name was dan dankworth god bless his heart uh, He's got amnesia now. He's an old man, but um, I always hold the real special place in my heart. But uh, but he asked me, said, uh, you know, he, he of course he bought copper all the time, but he was just starting his business out too, and just had a regular trailer sitting there with scales and 
and things that, and he was buy, he would buy it. So he says, "What are you boys doing with this?" And I said, "I'm going to sell it to you." And he says, um, "Well, what are you what are you going to do with the money?" And I said, "Man, I'm going to buy me some cowboy boots." I told him. <laughs> he <Yeah>. said, "Cowboy." <laughs> he said, "Cowboy boots." And I said, "Yes." And uh, and my little brother, he said, and I said, my brother's going to buy him some too. And um, so he uh, he looked down, you know, and saw we didn't have his shoes on. And he said, I'll be right back. And he got up, and I know what he did this day. I didn't know at the time. He went in there because he had asked me where I was going to get it, get the, the boots from, and I told him. And he got up. And went inside, and I know what he did now, and he even confessed it to me later, that he called over there to find out how much those cowboy boots were. And that's how much he paid me for that copper, enough to buy a pair of cowboy boots. Now, my little brother didn't get enough to buy cowboy boots, but he got enough to buy him some school shoes. Right. So that's how we got our school shoes that year. Yeah, when we came back. Wow. That's, um, man, if that's not inspiring, I don't know what is. And I don't, I don't want it to seem like, you know, we're running off here on, on story after story, but I think it's important context for where you came from, how you grew up, and why you, how, how you came to be who you are. Because we all face the, the right. similar challenges and everyone handles them differently. But I want this to serve as an inspiration, whether you're doing well right now or whether you're facing a lot of adversity, I want to help people adapt that mindset. In some ways it's a survival mindset, but it goes from surviving to thriving. If you keep pushing in that same direction with that spirit and it you may not possess what what's referred to as the entrepreneurial spirit for those listening out there but you have to look at it as separate from business separate from money separate from you know any of that stuff it's all about self-preservation and then once you get that intact and you get your circumstances stable you can begin moving in a direction that you see value in. You can move in a direction and put your life together mm. however you want, but you have to be willing to survive and, and push forward with that spirit until you reach the point where you can thrive. But if you never go for it, nothing's ever going to change. You know, life is, is not fair okay and i think people get hung up on that they get caught up in in negative emotions and resentment and animosity and envy and all these things that's not going to change your life you know if life is shit right now for you if you're going through it now is the time now is the time to cover the, that ground and now is the time to make those changes and make that progress accept the fact that it's not fair it's it's not going to change on its own it's all about what are you going to do about it whatever your circumstance whatever however old you are i mean you're never too old you're never too young 
life's always happening. You got to get after it. And you, you really have to make change on your own. Um, and you have to ensure what will be with what is now. That's the best way I can think to, uh, to put that. So let's go forward. Um, tell me a little bit about after this period in time, you know, obviously a lot of things happen, but um, I'm going to let you just take the floor here and go where you want with that uh, from there and take it in whichever direction you want to. I mean, okay. we can cover a little bit about what's going on now or what happened in between then or wherever you want to take it. Well, what I think, Eric, is this, is I think it's important because you touched on some really good areas there, but I think it's important that people realize that, yes, every single person's circumstances are absolutely unique and different, you know? And yeah. so with that being said, um, I, my brother and I faced some really, you know, traumatic um circumstances that led both of us to uh my brother's a very successful businessman as well but led both of us to aspire and and not quit we had that drive you know that is part of maslow's hierarchy of needs however with that being said everyone's circumstances are unique and whatever that person's circumstances are um, they need to take and evaluate and, and, and determine what it is they need to do to, uh, and, and who, whatever it takes to inspire them so that they can have the aspirations to move forward. Um, <clears throat> I feel like society today, that what I look at is, oh, I touched on this earlier, where you send the kids to school, We've got probably both parents working um, to make ends meet, and that's very unfortunate. Um, you know, years ago, uh, both parents didn't have to work to, to pay the bills, but our dollar has devaluated so badly that it, in the majority of households these days, I believe that both parents work, which leaves us a bunch of latch key, uh children that come home to an empty household yep. but at the same time i'm not sure that those parents are pushing their children in the right direction so that the child really knows what to expect in life and what i mean by that is this is that great you give a child somewhere to stay a home that's wonderful. You're supposed to do that as a parent. They have food to eat. That's great. Supposed to do that as a parent. You provide clothing. That's great. Supposed to do that as a parent. All of the necessities that a child requires during up during raise, you know upbringing and raising a child. But a what I feel like a big area that's neglected is is that these children don't realize even at a point after they're already in adolescence and at a point where they're about ready to leave the nest if you will and only at that point do they go oh my god 
what am I really going to do here? Yep. And so they've been trained all these years through school, do well in school, get you a job, and they've watched most of their parents work for someone else, and they fall into the labor force and go to work, and they go, man, is this what life is really? And it just shocked to them. It's shocked that that has to happen. Yeah. And so I'm not sure that our children, the way they're being raised, that they're being allowed to achieve their full uh, potential and aspirations is what I'm saying. And I'm not sure that they are. On the flip side of that, there, when you when you hear stories about a child that has made their own clothing line or started making money online doing uh, e-commerce or maybe trading stocks or something like that, there's there's mm. typically one thing. I just want to provide you know the the opposite as well because people need to understand that. The one thing all those kids seem to have in common is their parents supported their their initiative to try to do something from a business standpoint. Absolutely. And they encourage that mindset. And that's that's really a great idea as a parent. It doesn't mean your kid is going to be a millionaire by 12 or 14. It doesn't mean anything is guaranteed but what this does is it it gives them the opportunity to explore their strengths explore their interests early on and it gives them a a safety net to go out there and fail and very likely succeed if they're doing something that they're passionate about and they're creative you would be surprised how much potential your child has if you would give them a chance and support that um, that process of letting them explore and try new things like that. Now, of course, you got to guide it, and I'm not, you know, I'm not telling parents to go out there and uh, force their kids to start a business or anything no. like that. But what I'm saying is, support your kids, invest in them, and and try to inspire them in a way that's it's going to benefit them and yourself and the rest of the world around you as they grow up. You want to inspire the most out of your children early on. And I think that's, that's a mindset that needs to shift um, because I think a lot of people are, are stuffing their kids into a box. They don't want them to fail. They're, they're, they're afraid. They're operating out of a scarcity mindset instead of that abundance and opportunity mindset. And it's detrimental to everyone. And see, here's another thing too, Eric, is just like I had brought up, you know, both of the, both parents are normally working, not always, but what happens is, is that, is that even though they want best for that child, in which I don't doubt that whatsoever, but they're not home, they're working, not their fault. That is not their fault. But they may have been groomed into that mindset of you go to school, when you get out, you go to work, you get a good job, this is what you do. And then so now you have a chain of events that that guess what? That's what the their child's gonna do the same thing. 
And so they see that and you don't and, and they don't get to spend the time that it takes to build those uh, to be an inspiration of change and to find those uh, those qualities or allow that child to find the qualities and that child's aspirations of where they can uh, move forward and be successful. And and that that's really difficult. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, I think that's the situation that the American society has fell into the norm, that that's the yep. norm, yep. you know. And so the result of that is, is that we have children now that love video games. Golly, I played video games when I was a teenager, but <laughs> that most of them have cell phones, almost all. Oh, yeah. That's okay. But most of them want to just play those video games and i think they've lost touch with reality of what's really going to happen when it's time to for the parent to say okay i gotta boot you out of the nest and they're mm-hmm. gonna go oh my god well instead of growing yeah you're right and instead of developing through experience and and failing and falling down and getting back up and and actually experiencing life and learning and developing along the way they may be 18 they may be 19 they may be 20 but guess what they're still about 10 or 12 mentally unfortunately and that's this technology and the disconnect from from family and life and responsibility uh i think has has a negative impact on personal development and so you have people yes. are now, you know, depressed. They're, they're experiencing difficulty settling into an adult world. And they may be, like I said, in terms of age, they may be an adult. But I think mentally, it's just like uh, they're domesticated to, to be a child and to be at that level as an adult and they they don't know how to get out of it yeah yeah and and it's not and it's not that the parents don't want to build those aspirations and to inspire those children is that guess what both of them are working they're tired when they get home they're mm-hmm. providing you know they're both trying to do what it takes to provide for that child but then we're getting into an area of you know you and i have that entrepreneurial spirit and you know to where that that's not um something that i feel like i feel like it is something that's really neglected in helping that child develop their own aspirations not in every case but that the way society has progressed that the norm of both working parents and if you have children at home um you know, how do you find the time? You know, they're tired when they get home. Yeah. You know, mom gets home, she's tired, she's got to make uh, something to eat. Um, you know, the American life that yeah. has downgraded our children. And I, I think it's downgraded. It's downgraded everyone. There's been a disconnect in family. Um, there's been a disconnect within ourselves as well. And I think you, you're pretty much nailing it here in that people are simply overwhelmed and they're stuck. 
And that's that's what inspired me to create this podcast. You know, a lot of personal uh, backstory on myself, which I'll be sharing as we go through this podcast um, and kind of dive deeper into some of my own personal story as well. But guess what? For everybody listening out here, I was stuck. I was stuck just as bad as anybody else. Um, and there's single parent households out there. there. There's all kinds of situations. Don't think that because you're a single mom or because you're a single father and maybe you're paying child support or you got credit card debt and all this stuff, don't think that that's just it, that you're going to stay in that spot perpetually. You may feel stuck. You may feel overwhelmed right now, but we're going to cover just briefly here in this episode um, a little bit about the first steps you can take to actually get unstuck. And I'm going to lay out some, some core concepts right here. And again, everyone's situation is different, but I think if I had to look back right now and give my past self some advice, it would be this. Minimize, and this is in terms of possessions, any extra bills or things that you don't need, whether that's uh, cable, phone bill, whatever it may be, start by minimizing. Minimize, prioritize, and then reinvest. You minimize, prioritize, and reinvest. And you're going to take this approach to go into whatever your current field of work may be or whatever you're, you're skilled at, and you're going to be able to take this and translate it into your own self-employment. But you have to start by gathering. It's like if you, your, your, your gas tank is on E and you got a little bit of change in the car, a little bit of change in the, in the couch cushion, there's a dollar on the, on the nightstand. You got to scrounge all that up. You got to take all that together and go out there and get started. So we're going to cover a little bit um, about how you can take the concept of using your current skills or using um, your current work experience and translate that into a client service related business that's really what we're about here and that's that's the major the major step um in my opinion that's the easiest route you can take towards getting unstuck and that's what i want to talk a little bit more about but i'm glad we covered uh, a little bit on your backstory and give people some context some real world examples here um you haven't worked Absolutely. for anybody in how long? Four years, three, oh four God. years. Well, let's see. <laughs> my son is five really? now, so I uh, I uh, uh, worked on a pipeline a few years back um, at kind of uh, at the uh, request of uh, of a woman that I was with prior to to getting married to the wife that I have now. And, uh, but prior to that, prior to that, in all honesty, I've always been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've yep. only worked for a couple of companies 
um, for brief periods of time, not any prolonged period of time whatsoever, my entire life. I just, I've never been uh, a good, well, I was a good employee, but I never liked being a good employee. Yeah. So that, that, that wasn't me. I wasn't a bad employee. I did what I was supposed to when I worked for someone. But uh, at the same time, I recognized that that wasn't me, that that wasn't the route to achieve success. That, you know, um, and let me say this, Eric, here's something I feel like is important that we're missing. Um, I don't, I know that every single person in, in the world's not meant to be uh, an entrepreneur. <clears throat> we have society, and, and in society, uh, we have all different types of positions, all the way from the person that picks up the trash to the plumber to the teacher, and all of those positions in society are necessary to have a good functioning uh, uh you know, state and United States and and uh, cities, whatever counties, uh, society in general, to have a good functioning society. Everyone fits in a niche somewhere. Everyone's not an entrepreneur, but there's millions and millions of entrepreneurs that don't even know that they're an entrepreneur or want or feel like they are that want to do something that want to change their lives that have that aspiration, that just don't know how. Exactly. And that's what I want to touch on a little bit. So what this podcast is really going to get into over time is, is individual experience and individual insight. But we're going to tie this back into not only that mindset that we talked about, but just that in terms of the spirit of, of getting back up, whatever your adversity may be, that, that mindset is crucial for life. Um, but business aspects aside, you may be cleaning houses right now. You may be uh, working for a landscaping company. You may be selling cars. You may be doing any number of jobs. And you, you, typically, you graduate, you um, gravitate towards either what you like the most what you're best at or what you I guess you may not like it but you don't mind doing it I mean it's it's the lesser of two evils or whatever it may be so chances are the way we get to choose our work most of us are doing what we're doing for a reason you know I did a lot of manual labor um, prior to being self-employed because I would rather work outside and do hands-on things, physical work, than sit at a desk and, and answer a phone or work on a computer. Some people are the opposite, and that's fine. So whatever your preferences are, whatever your skill sets are, chances are, if you listen to this podcast and see how we lay this out, how you can go from where you're working now to really being doing either doing what you're doing or doing what you would like to do self-employed and making substantially more i think it's safe to say just to just to give people an idea i think it's safe to say no matter your industry 
Um, I've got a buddy of mine who's getting into firearms instruction. Well, he's not getting into, he's doing it. And I've talked to him over the years. I worked with him for a number of years and we've talked about these things. And, um, you know, I, I've helped him uh, to understand a little bit how he can get on certain platforms, how he can market himself, get enough clients to actually go full time uh, into the firearms instruction and leave his current job now. Now, all credit to him as well for taking action, getting his certifications and staying on it. This is something you have to do yourself. So we can provide insight here and inspiration, but you have to be willing to take action as well. Now, how I want this to be different is I want to provide information and insight that you can actually take action on. So again, this episode is more, uh, you know, getting started. We want to focus on the mindset. Mindset is key. Um, We've got some context for other other stories along the way, but very simply, I mean, it you got to start with the mindset and you got to know, I want you to know right now, whatever you're doing, chances are you can be doing similar work or if you don't like what you're doing, you can be doing something you like um, and making about eight to 10,000 reasonably speaking you can be making about eight to ten thousand a month self-employed would you say that's about correct jerry oh easy yeah for yeah. sure for i sure. want to give people the low end yeah but the thing is is that there's uh there's a lot of you know everyone is not doesn't have the physical attributes to do the type of stuff that i do Eric. and right. but regardless of that it's whatever that whatever it is um, that they like to do. There's there's a, there's hundreds and hundreds of ways to uh, make that transition yep. to self employment. And you know, really, what we're talking about here is is how does a person go from hey, I'm stuck over here in a dead end job that I'm going to work the rest of my life and make a successful transition into something that whatever it is, whatever they, how, whatever it is they aspire to do, how do they make that successful transition that will allow them to, number one, have a certain degree of autonomy, number two, dramatically increase their income, oh, man. and then yeah. third, to have that plan to where that after they've dramatically increased that income to be able to take the proceeds from that and create passive income and continue to build on that. I don't want to overwhelm people with that yet. It is, it is coming. And that is the route you should have in mind. You don't listen. Maybe, maybe, maybe you do want to work forever and that's fine. But make sure you're doing the work that you're passionate about and not selling yourself short. So here's how I look at setting up a small business. Uh, In particular, I'm referencing setting up a small client service related business. That can be anything from uh, salon type work. You know, you could be doing hair, 
You could be a barber. You could be cutting lawns and doing landscaping type work. You could be cleaning. You could be dog grooming. I'm just throwing some ideas out here. A lot of successful um, individuals that I know got started in client service related business, including yourself, including myself, and including people that I'm helping uh, make that transition right now as we speak. So there's money in client service related businesses. There, service are, industry. Yep. These, you have job security uh, or business security, if you want to call it that. These are essential services. I mean, these aren't going away overnight. Um, and any changes that do come about, you'll, you'll be able to adapt as needed. Um, no big deal. So let's, let's think about this. Wherever you're at right now, if you're wondering how you can get started, I mean, we've covered the mindset. I'm not going to go back through that again. But I want you to think about what it is you like doing or what it is you don't mind doing and where your skill sets lie. If, you, if you're a skilled landscape worker, you may consider leveraging those skills to go into business for yourself and get started making a lot more money. You don't have to start big. Okay, you can start small, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you can start small, you can start working on the side of your job, whether it's weekends or whatever, start small. You're going to build your clientele over time, be prepared to, to fail, be prepared to get some no's. And as long as you stick with it, and and again, follow this podcast and the information that we're going to be presenting in future episodes. Um, you, you're going to have the insight and information that you need to get out there and really take things to the next level. So that said, when you're working at a job, let's just use my situation for context, for reference here. I was working for a utility company out here in Charlotte, North Carolina, moved out a few years back. Um, I had tried to start multiple businesses in the past. You know, I tried to start, uh, try to get some credit repair business going, tried to get into real estate. I tried to get into uh, flipping cars. And all of this has kind of been a means to an end for me. I wanted to be doing something in terms of business where I got paid more than I did as an employee so that I could use that income as a tool to transition into other investments and take things to the next level. So I've, I've kind of had the end in mind. And I think if that's what you're able to do right now, more power to you. Um, you're going to get further faster if you have your vision somewhat refined to where you have the end in mind. So I will note that um, I've said it before, I'll say it again, having and creating a vision board is a very powerful tool. And the exercise is simple. List out what you don't like about your current circumstances, what you don't want out of life right now, what you would like to change, and then list out what you want, 
how you want it to change, what you want to move forward mm -hmm. towards. So again, we want to distinguish what we are moving away from and what we're moving towards. So start there, get your vision straight, determine, decide definitively what you don't want and move away from that and determine what you do want and move towards that. Now, the business, um, I'm going to share a little bit of my story just because I think um, people can get some value out of real life experience. We can speak hypothetically, we can name off all the different industries that you could start, but let's take a real world example with myself. Um, I moved out to Charlotte from Fort Worth, Texas. I moved out to Charlotte uh, just over three years ago. So I got down here for a job with the utility company and I knew in order to make it that first six months, I was going to have to do something extra in order to get by because I was, I, I was making entry level pay for the first six months. And I already knew financially that wasn't going to cut it. On top of that, we experienced quite a bit of hardship moving down here. You know, my wife lost her job. Um, and this, this was a difficulty that we had with her job stability when we moved down here. You know, things were kind of up and down with that. So it, it put a lot of financial strain on us. Um, so what I did, I had, you know, a few, few thousand dollars um, in reserves after we moved. And I had some money from uh, income tax left over and, and things like that that I had just put away. And I wanted to be real careful because this was a big move for us, you know, we, we were, uh, let's see, 20, 23 when we moved out here. So that's kind of young. That's kind of a, you know, that's a big venture when you're that age. And, um, move across the country 1,100 miles away to, to go for something uh, with no guarantees. So I, I was putting a lot on the line. I knew it was do or die. And I wasn't about to let us go homeless or, or do all this for nothing. So I got with you, Jerry, and I talked to you about your experience in starting a lawn care company and what I might need and how I might be able to get started and how I should charge, what I could expect to make. And we sat down for about two hours straight and we talked about all this stuff. I wrote it all down. I've still got it here in my notes. And that was a huge help in, in uh, being able to get started over here. I picked up a trailer, uh, a utility trailer. I got that for 960 bucks off of Craigslist, brand new, 10, 10 foot uh -huh. by five foot trailer. Got my equipment, real basic stuff, nothing fancy. I got a little right. weed eater and I got a little, uh, had a mower already. And, you know, I made up some uh, business cards and a little sign and I, I got out there, man. And I knew I had to do something if we were going to make it. And I figured, you know what? I can do lawn care. I'm all right at it. And I can do it on my own schedule and I can scale it up as much as I want to. So I got out there yep. and once I got my stuff together, 
after a week or so, I got all my equipment. I got everything I needed. I got out there and I started knocking on doors. And I said, hey, you know, this, this is my name is Eric Fontaine. You know, I'm do, I do. I live right down the street. I started my own neighborhood because I wanted to keep it close and, and save time. And uh, it's a decent neighborhood in terms of market. So I started knocking on doors and I was like, hey, here's what I'm about. Here's what I got. And I, I gave him the rundown on my business and I got some no's. But guess what? I got I got a lot of yeses. You know, I would say out of the people that answered the door, I presented myself well um, and we you can go and look up, you know, business specific advice for starting a lawn care company what i want to cover right now is just how you can do the same thing whatever your industry so i got out there i started knocking on doors and i knocked on enough doors and i had about 12 clients in two days of knocking on doors i had about 12 clients i probably knocked on Mm, 50 doors 50 doors or so and i got 12 clients out of it awesome. so and awesome. i went out there i was mowing about 40 bucks a yard for most of them it's about 40 each and so you do the math you know this is how i made yeah. it this is how i survived on entry-level pay this is how i sustained my family after we moved down here and I did it for about eight months straight. And um, then I took a break from it. I focused on uh, my work, my job, my actual job at the time, and actually picked it back up again next season. So just kind of went through the winter time, took that break and, and did what I had to do um, to focus on my, my job, my career at the time. But that's all I wanted out of it at that time. But in the process of surviving, I actually learned that I could thrive much better self-employed than I could at my job. I was making the on the Man, low absolutely. end. On the low end, I was making, you know, a, a hourly rate when I averaged everything out. I was earning about 40 to 45 bucks an hour working you know right. with with a little old junky self-propelled lawnmower that that really didn't propel nothing it was just heavier <laughs> it didn't <laughs> it didn't help much but luckily uh i got a funny story on that so my first client was down the street literally down the street from my house i knocked on the door ended up getting a yes from a, a very nice family and um you know i got started I wasn't doing everything right. I mean, I knew how to cut the lawn and make it look good, but I wasn't moving efficiently. You know, I didn't have all my skills down to to make it seamless, you know, so I made it look good. But as I was uh, doing the backyard, it was it was pretty overgrown. That, I mean, you couldn't quite see what was there. I did walk the yard, but apparently not good enough. So I made a huge rookie mistake. I was doing the backyard and as I'm coming through, I'm about, I got about 30% left of the backyard, 25, 30% left to cut. So I'm coming down and as I'm coming through the yard, the grass, uh, 
I felt a little bump, but not much. Turns out as I'm mowing here, I'm moving as fast as I can. Bam. I hit a damn sewer lid that was sitting no, in their yard. Lord. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cast iron sewer lid. Um, that it was laid pretty flat. I mean, it, it wasn't sticking out much, but it was enough to believe it or not. It was enough for me to run smooth over it with the grass overgrown and not feel it that not bump into it to where it would stop me. And I ran smooth over it, hit the blade on it and immediately blew the engine on the mower. This is day one first client. Okay. This is what oh, a lot of people, this is what a lot of people refer to as resistance. Okay. I couldn't believe what the hell just happened when I did that. Right. I ran smooth over it. Bam. Hit the, the mower blade, hit the hell out of it. The engine uh, popped a few times. It started smoking. Um, I didn't know right away, but oil was spilling out. I mean, it, it had, it had punched a hole right in there and, and just blew ruined the head it. off the mo- Yeah, ruined it. And so I'm like, damn, you know, hope I didn't mess it up. Just in disbelief, I'm out here trying to start this mower. It's already dead. I see, you know, it's smoking. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I don't want these people looking out and seeing all this. So I pushed the mower real quick. I pushed it back onto the trailer. And I'm like okay, well, do, you know, I'll just look at it. Uh, let me, let me see if I can figure out what's going on with it. The rip cord wouldn't even wind back up. It wouldn't even pull. I mean, it was absolutely destroyed. Keep in mind, this is day one. This is my first client. And this, this is what I was experiencing. And it was a mess. So yeah. once I had it on the trailer, I realized it was pouring oil out of the bottom and i knew pretty much at that point i'm like okay chances are this this thing is is done for i can maybe see about getting a cheap little engine put on it or or see about buying another one but i'm like okay well i need to finish this right so i took the weed eater out and i finished the remaining about 25 percent of the backyard with the weed eater and then there was another uh strip of grass leading up to the to the front that I hadn't finished either. So I had to do all that with the trimmer, which took forever, <laughs> but I didn't want to leave the yard looking bad. I made it look good. You know, I cleaned it up right. right. And, and I finished the job. Basically I finished it with the weed eater and um, you know, I, they came out, they wanted to make sure everything was good. Cause they had, they had uh, came back home about that time when I was finishing with the weed eater and I told them what happened. I was like, oh, man, I hit that sewer lid back there and they felt bad. But, you know, I told them, oh, no, it's, it's my fault. You know, it's part of the business or whatever. So I took it all yeah. in stride and I, I packed up and I went um, down to an equipment uh, supplier. I, don't, I won't say the name, but there's a it was a lawn equipment provider in the area and they were open till about six or five or six something like that they were the only ones open so i'm like okay well i'll go see if they can either fix this if it's something they can fix or or maybe if they have something i can finance or something like i'm not i'm not backing out now so i need to get another piece of equipment right i went went out there 
and I tried to finance something. Um, I wasn't able to finance due to my credit at the time. And, um, you know, we had taken out some more debt on the credit cards to get out here. And then I kept what I had in savings just to be able to, to make some moves. So at this point, my credit limits were, were over leveraged from a banking perspective. They were, I was, had almost everything maxed out at this time, just trying to get by and make the move happen. So I couldn't finance um, due to that. And then they definitely couldn't fix it. They knew right away. They're like, yeah, that thing's toast. And so I'm like, okay, well, what do you, what do you have used? You know, I did have a little bit left after buying the trailer and a couple other things. I had a little bit left to work with and they um, rolled out this little snapper commercial mower. It's a 21 inch and they were actually able to give me a, a really good deal on it. I got it for 140 bucks and this is a commercial grade Seven point seven five horsepower. Mm-hmm. Not, nothing fancy, really but it's a good little workhorse. You know, it's a good, good little commercial mower. And um, yeah, so I snatched that thing up. I said, "All right, well, this will get me back to work." And man, I still have that mower today, and I love it. And it's three or four, three or four yards paid paid for it. Quick. Oh, it oh yeah, no yards. doubt, no doubt. And I cut, I cut. I mowed hundreds of yards with that mower. <laughs> I mowed hundreds of yards with it and it's still ticking like new. I took care of it. I changed the oil. I put a brand new blade on there and sharpened it yeah. razor sharp. Like you told me. And I got to work, man. And I was mowing all the time. I worked every day after work. I would work. And then on the weekends, I would work every day. Right. I didn't have a day see, off. Eric, Go ahead, you know, Jerry. a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand, and I just wanted to interject this that that you know we're not we're not here to necessarily promote the lawn business. We're just sharing our own experiences. That's it. But that's all I knew. But yeah, and so I mean, golly, if if that's what works, I mean, if that's what works for other people, that's great too. But there's hundreds of ways to do it. Oh, yeah. But as an example, as an example, you know, you had your income that you had coming in from your regular full-time job where you were in employment. And a lot of people don't understand that you can take a regular pickup. And even if you don't have a pickup, if you have a car with a small trailer, um, as long as you have a lawnmower, a weed eater, a blower, and you can even buy hedge trimmers later. But, you know, and it doesn't even have to be top of the line. Nope. If you have, then this is just on lawn care. There's other things too. But just as an example, if you work Monday through Friday somewhere and you bring home, let's just say you bring home $650, $700 a week. Let's say that's your bring home pay, $700 a week. You can work Saturday and Sunday and, and make $800. Oh, Make listen, today. listen, Jerry, you told me this, you told me this when I got started and I knew hearing something is one thing, believing it's another thing. And the only way to believe it is to go out there and get started at whatever your craft is. Listen, you can do the same thing cleaning. You can do the same thing, uh, dog grooming. You can do the same thing, 
uh, fixing cars out of your own garage? Window cleaning. What, uh, pressure what, washing. Window, window, yeah. window cleaning, a squeegee and a bucket. Yep. But let's let's get back. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I want people to know this is not industry specific. It, it, exactly. It, except in the sense that all I know how to build at this point in time is client service related businesses. Okay. There's no bad industry. It's not limited to lawn care, but I am sharing my story. So, you know, straight up, this is how I did it. And so let me jump back into where I was going with this, which is I did this out of necessity for our survival. And it started off, it started off rough to say that it started off as a complete disaster. I mean, <laughs> first yard, first day, I went out and destroyed my mower, you know, and it was, I'm glad it happened looking back because that mower was shit. And I was actually able to get a much better mower for a, a great price that allowed me to work t- really twice as fast. And it, it was, it was much better. So I think everything happens for a, a reason. You can believe otherwise. Yeah each their own but it's not about what happens it's how you handle it and i want people to know this this is 100 percent legit like this is what happened when i moved down here to charlotte i had to make this work so i knew i couldn't give up i did not have a choice i had to get my ass up shake that failure off and go get a new piece of equipment so the next the first day was spent almost entirely dealing with that the second day, I went out knocking on doors. Like I said, probably knocked on about 50 doors and got about 12 clients. So that means I got 11 clients that next day. I mean, that's about right. That's, that's pretty much how it went. And then I stacked them all on the weekends. And I knew, okay, let me stop here because I want room for referrals. So I don't, let me get to, to, to work making money and stop knocking on doors for now. And sure enough, every time I would go out and mow, I would get anywhere from one to three more clients. Just being out they there come, working. They approach you. Yep. Being out there working every day on the weekend. I had my sign up on the back of my trailer and I had put myself on Google Maps. And uh, uh, really, that was it. And the phone was ringing every day so much to where I, I couldn't even answer it. While I was, I was, I was working, I was trying to juggle both trying to send communications and, and doing all this stuff. But, um, you know, we'll go into marketing aspects and, and different things of how I was able to make this work, uh, in the next episode or two. But for right now, I just want people to get the big picture. So this is, this is Absolutely. what, so I'm out there, um, every weekend and even after work, trying to keep up with all with all this business that I'm getting. And I started to realize pretty quickly, even though I was excited to have moved down here for this job and, you know, I was going to be making good money more than I had ever made it, nothing, not even six figures. Okay. Let me just tell people I was making uh, like $16 entry level pay 16 an hour and I actually left the job making 17 an hour because after the entry level pay, it was, it was going to basically jump up to about 30, 30, 31 bucks an hour within the, within a year. 
is what it was going to be. Eric, that, how long did it take you to figure out that you could make three thumbs? Three listen, thumbs. So I did the lawn care out of necessity. I gave people the rundown just now uh, of how I got started. So forgive me if I'm I'm just trying to retrace my steps here and get back on track. So that's that's how I got started down here. And like I said, even on a bad day, even when I missed calculated a job, like a little hedge job, a tree job, I reinvested early on back into my equipment so I could get the little chainsaw, so I could get the hedge trimmers. And um, again, we'll go into all that, but I got, I got started with just a cheap $50 weed eater that I got on sale at Home Depot. And then I think my blower was like 60 or $70. Um, so I started with low end, very cheap equipment. And every time I would get that extra money, I would buy a new piece of equipment and I would, I would pay the bills just, just to where we could get by. And I wasn't spending, I wasn't spending money on anything else other than bills um, and then equipment. I would reinvest so I could make more money. And so I started to realize pretty quick, I was like, damn, even I may only be working a couple of days right now. And yeah, this is hard work, but I was actually extremely motivated and energized after I did that first one. Um, even though it was, it was a big mess, I felt really good and energized working for myself. And that's a feeling that you typically don't get as an employee. So I do want to note, like when you work for yourself and you are able to earn, it's that's motivation in itself right there. So I started to, that was the main thing I liked about it. I was like, man, I feel great doing this, you know, and just having the freedom to work for myself and keep in mind, I was still a full-time employee, but I was getting a taste of self-employment and doing this. And so on the weekends and uh, a little bit during the week, not too much during the week, but mostly just full blown uh, eight to 10 hour days on the weekends, I was out there working. So on a bad day, I would average about $40 an hour, which is substantially more than I was even going to make in a year uh, a year's time in terms of uh, hourly pay rate. And I was working with, you know, low end equipment still at this time. So I got to thinking about it. I was like, I'm making more in two days than I make all week. And I talked to you about this. I told you, I'm like, God damn, Jerry, you know, I moved out here for this job, but I'm making more in two days working for myself than I make all week. I make more. Let's put it in perspective. You you told me. You said you're you're not you're not gonna be there long. That's exactly what you told me. I made I would make more in 16 hours or less than I would in a 40 hour work week. And that's just simple math. I was like well damn so i got as i got more into it and as i rode that season out and and then you know i got a uh the first pay increase i was 
making like 26 an hour or something like that um, after the first pay increase. And I'm like, you know, damn, this feels pretty good. I know I'm headed for that for that 30. But, you know, life happens and, and you change your mind sometimes. So as things went on and I saw what I could make self-employed, you know, I, I was really beginning to think about stuff. And like I say, everything happens for a reason. Um, well, I was considering, I'm like, okay, you know what? Next season, I'm going to use my income tax and I'm going to get a better mower and I'm going to get a better blower and I'm going to get a better uh, weed eater and, and whatever. I'm going to reinvest in equipment and I'm going to get out there and get this full time. And, you know, there was also some things I don't want to give away too much, you know, about the employer or about details, but I will say I was facing um, some adversity at work and really it was discrimination is, is what was going on. And I don't think it was based on yeah. race. It, I think it was just personal, um, personal discrimination, not, not racial. I just want to clear that up. So it was just a, a shitty person is who I was dealing with in upper management. And it was just one person that was making my life uh, very difficult and, and putting me, putting my job at risk. And um, so, you know, you know what, Eric, just briefly check this out mm -hmm. along that line right there, you know, good things happen to good people for a reason. Yep. So that really, even though that adversity that you faced right there has catapulted you toward uh, a success, an avenue of success that you might not have taken nope. at the moment. Yep. You wouldn't have taken it this quickly. And to put this into perspective, I'm going to give the, the people out there an example of this next year, this this coming year. We will run a flyer campaign of door hangers with our own crews, um, and we're going to hang about 30,000 door hangers. That's what we're going to hang. Yeah. Just to clarify, so, this is this is your business you're talking about. I don't want people to get confused on the week. Yeah. Yeah, my so. business. And so, you know, to put things in perspective, I mean, you're talking about going full-blown with this thing, but so that they can understand what you know, what I know, what I know works. What I know is this, that on door hangers, you get a one to 2% success rate. Yeah. So I know that out of, of uh, you know, 30,000 of those, I'm going to get at least 300 customers, three to 600 customers right. yards, for sure. With that being said, to put this in a proper perspective, um, we're looking at basically about mowing about approximately 30 yards a day, more or less six days. A yeah. Day. With a couple crews, basically. Well, no, just uh, one crew. One crew okay. is going to do 30 a day. Yeah. Yeah. I could do it with the equipment that we have. Uh, okay. You know, we average, we average with that standard uh, and and the guy that I've got on the weed eater and all that, put someone on blower, you know, we can do about three yards an hour. So we're okay. looking at um, 10, 10 hour days, you know, 10 hour days. 
um, 30 yards a day, basically $40 a piece. That's $1,200 a day times six. That's $7,200 a week working yep. 10 hours a day. Compare that to someone else's full-time employment. Yeah. And there's overhead and it, it's not all profit. But when hear, you do, I'll when hear you do 5,000. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. When you I'll take everything out, sure, absolutely. I'll clear more than that, but for the sure. Money, it, the money is there. The opportunity. 20,000 a month. Is there. Yeah, 20,000 a month. And Eric, you know, you know about me already, which we haven't talked to the people about this, but we will at some point. But I'm overeducated, um, you know, with multiple, multiple college degrees. And there's no one that will pay me that kind of money to where that um, we're talking about in the pocket, 20,000 exactly. a month. Not what did I make? We're talking yeah. about net, net. Yes. You know, yes. I can go get a job somewhere that will pay me, you know, the net side, $20,000 a month. Right. No way. There, that's the difference. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's the main distinction to make here is that once you understand what you can make self-employed, you and and you understand that you can scale the operation up and you can hire other people and you you don't have to work in it forever, then right. you you begin to realize that it actually doesn't even compare. And that to work a job as an employee, that's that's fine. I'm not criticizing anyone who's doing that. I'm speaking to those no, no, not who, at all. who want more. I'm speaking to those who maybe due to their education or their skill set or or wherever they're at in their life, it's it's a better deal for them to go self-employed versus being an employee because they're not looking at much down the road in terms of, you know, gain, net gain or, or earning potential. Some people will not be able to get that uh, six or seven figure a year job. And that's, I think I'm a prime example of that. I graduated high school. I did, uh, you know, one year at community college. And then I was like, fuck you know excuse my language but fuck this you know i could be i'm about to go down this road of getting into debt uh, like six figures in debt over the next four or five years and i won't even be earning hardly anything working part-time and taking classes full-time i'm like from a business perspective this doesn't make much sense and i was interested in getting a business degree i'm like you know what? Yeah. I can uh, I can figure something else out. That's what I decided, and so I went the Eric, route. Can I say something? Go ahead. Go ahead. You took you took you took the road less traveled. Yep. You took the road less traveled, and that's what you're trying to convey the message to all of the, your listeners is that you took the road less traveled and right. that the listeners that are listening to you have to be willing to take that road that's less traveled and lose the fear, the fear exactly. of the unknown. You have but, to step past the fear of the unknown 
because people are um, comfortable with what they're already, you know, if, if they're already working a nine to five job and they're comfortable and stuck in that rut, they're going, oh my God, I'm scared to take that first step because what if, what if, what if I fail? Well, listen, there is no failure. The real key to that is what if I don't succeed at the first try? That's it's exactly not it. Failure. It's that, oh my God, look at every single thing that I learned from this attempt to succeed. Now let's make another attempt at this and let's apply what I learned from the first attempt. Absolutely. And you covered a lot there. And I want people to understand that you win or you learn. That's that's a quote I've heard somewhere else. I don't know who the original quote is from, but I totally agree with it. You win or you learn. Anything new, anything new is going to be challenging. It's only going to be challenging for a short period of time. And then it's yes. going to be- then it's going to be the wind at your back, okay? The wind in your sails. And that's what I want to articulate with my story personally is, is here's how it started. And guess what? I didn't have to like quit my job in order to start doing this and start, you know, getting good at it and, and start understanding how to get more clients and, and what I did wrong and what I did right and, and how to communicate and how to market and how to what to wear you know all these things I sorted out in time but I don't want people to feel like they have to jump off a cliff or you know quit their job or anything like that no you do you can you can stay at your job right now and you can get started doing this on your own time at your own discretion again it doesn't matter your your skill set your whatever industry, there's a market for it. So you can get started just like I did. You can do it part time. And you this this is actually the way you want to do it. You want to keep your income coming in, go part time on this business, do it as much as you can. And then as you build your clientele, and you get the insight and information to move forward in scaling this business, then then you can quit your job and then you can make the jump. But like I said, looking back, I think the key to your success and the key to my success has been not having a choice. So I want to pick back up for people to understand what drove me and and how I was able to make the transition from employee to self-employed. And I, I think it's important to share this. So as we talked about, I was starting to have some some issues at work with this one uh, manager in particular because we went through the first six months and that was good. And then between six and eight months, you your your group they hire in groups uh, transitions to a new supervisor, and he handles the next uh, year basically you'll be with that second supervisor. So when we made that transition, that's when the problem started to occur for me. So that said, that was going on. Um, I was basically, you know, 
dealing with a psychopath. Um, and that, that think that's a common workplace issue. I've heard before people don't quit their jobs. They quit their, their bosses, you know, mm. so, uh, that that's not what led me to quit though. I was battling that out and the other management and the other employees and everyone, um, that I had worked with spoke very highly of me and they, they were supporting me in this, uh, issue basically so most of the company um i'll say was supporting me it was really just him um so again just kind of the one person in the building you know that that gives you shit and i I know a lot of people are going through that right now and that's another downside to being an employee at at a company that's not perfect which there's no perfect company out there um, management can change. Even if your boss is cool right now, that's great. He could have a heart attack tomorrow. He could get hit by a bus. And then as an employee, you're subject to whoever you're dealing with, whoever has power over you. And there's not really any negotiation and there's, there's not much you can do about it. And if you get fired tomorrow on some bullshit, then that's just what it is. And whether you work there six months or, or 30 years, it's, you can't change it. So it's a very, people think being self-employed carries a greater risk. No, the actual risk is in, in being an employee with one stream of income. And this is something I've learned along the way. If we have, hypothetically, if we have, 350 clients we've got to get fired 350 times before our income stops coming in okay and and we're doing the job right so we're not your results earn you rewards in self-employment you get paid and you get rewarded based on the value that you're contributing to others not based on someone's opinion of you or someone giving you shit because they don't like you. Okay. That's not what your employment is subject to as self-employed. So that's something else I want people to consider. Not only do you have greater freedom, greater earning potential, um, you have greater job security when you're self-employed and yes, you need to, to carry insurance, um, for that. You may not have to carry like say, uh, you know, there's a a certain type of insurance that covers your income. If you were to get hurt being uh, self-employed, things like that. Um, So there's things you can do where you say, okay, well, what if I I break both my legs and I can't work? Well, then what? If I was an employee, I'd be covered by workers comp. And Mm. again, this isn't legal advice. I'm not an insurance expert. Um, this is, is simply for uh, the purpose of offering my perspective. If, if you're getting into insurance questions and legal questions, I would advise you consult a professional for these, for these questions um, and get those specific answers. But I will tell you that there is insurance. You know, there, there are things for anything you can think of that says, okay, well, well, what if this, what if that, 
I'm telling you, there, there is a positive recourse for each and every one of those things. And if there weren't, then there would not have been a company established for you to work for in the first place. Somebody owns the company, even if it's shareholders, someone owns the company you work for and they're profiting from it, whether it's mom and pop or whether it's shareholders. So if you're thinking the risk is in self-employment, I'm here to tell you firsthand, it's not. I have to get fired hundreds of times now as opposed to one time in the past. And that's that's a, a, a risk and a position that I didn't want to be in. But so let's cut straight to how I made the transition. So I was having this stuff go on at work. And ironically enough, you know, we, we think some things are tragedy or we think some things are just so unfortunate, but it's all about perception. It's all about perception. It's not about what happens. It's about how you handle it. So I was working one day and I'll, I'll keep this uh, on the short version, but I was working one day and through no fault and no control of my own, someone dropped a 21 foot section of pipes over my head. I was in the process of unloading a flatbed truck and someone dropped a big bundle of pipes over my head while I was working. And I caught it, it was about 247 pounds. I caught it to keep it from smashing me in the head and the neck and shoulder area. I caught it and um, it threw me off balance. Um, it, it was, it was, I immediately knew that I, I messed something up and, and catching that to keep it from hitting me. I immediately knew that something was wrong with my back. I felt my back swelling up and long story short, um, I sustained a pretty severe injury off of that. And again, through no fault and no control of my own, I couldn't have kept that from happening. And I was very uh, down and depressed about it. The first couple of months, uh, within the first three months, I went from 176 pounds to about 155 pounds. <laughs> so, you know, I lost 20 something pounds in just the first few months. Um, and the reason that happened is because I was so injured that I couldn't get out of bed for, I, I couldn't hardly get out of bed for the first couple months. Um, and I also couldn't sleep. And I've re I really mean that I wasn't sleeping more than one to three hours a night and I wasn't getting restful sleep when I did. So I, I was in a really bad position and um, I didn't quit. You know, I, there was no choice there. I was dealing with this injury now. Um, I was having to fight to get benefits and I had to find an attorney to ensure that I got the proper medical treatment and all this stuff. So it was a mess. And it was very challenging, um, especially given the circumstance of not being able to sleep, being in, in that constant pain and really having a hard time with it all. But I, I figured, you know what, I, I'm fucked either way, whether I'm going to I didn't know how 
serious the injury was going to be yet because I was still waiting to get treatment and MRIs and all this kind of stuff. So I didn't have any answers yet. I was dealing with a lot of uncertainty and a, a lot of personal struggle physically and mentally. And I was like, you know what? I, I may I may be screwed either way. My back may be destroyed or, you know, I may be uh, they may look for a reason to fire me because I was being told uh, by people that work there. Hey, watch out, man. They're talking about getting rid of you when you come back. So I kind of had the inside scoop um, on what they were saying about me and things. And I knew based on several people that I talked to, chances were, um, given the history of the company, that they were going to look at firing me anyway when I came back, you know, try and find the technicality to let me go. So I felt um, that I had no choice but to figure out how to go self-employed um, as soon as possible. So I got to work on the website. I got to work on all the things that I hadn't had time to finish chipping away at. And I essentially did the groundwork for what would later become the transition to my self-employment. So long story short, I got badly injured. I used that time wisely to lay the groundwork, but I was also already chipping away at that on the weekends. So I don't want people to think like, you need a vacation to get this stuff done or you, or you need to get injured and get time off to make it work. Don't do that. Don't, you know, don't try to replicate or, or make something happen. If the, the point of this is that sometimes shit just happens and you have to make the yeah. most of it. And that, that shit happened. And I had a really negative perspective on it at first. And I was, I was, angry that someone had acted irresponsibly and got me hurt and I was I was very concerned and at the uncertainty of whether or not I had you know destroyed some discs in my back and things like that and I, I was just had no answers and I was operating out of a place of fear and I had to shake it off and say well look whether it is whether it isn't whether it's this whether it's that you don't have a choice. So you better just get started making the most out of it and moving towards what you do want. And that's exactly what I did. So again, laid the groundwork. Um, and it, it was a long recovery. It took about 10 months of, um, you know, treatment and, and physical rehab. And in that process, uh, I was recommended to try CBD um, I tried a couple of, a couple of them from friends. They had given me some, it didn't do anything. And then the, uh, physical therapist lady, she recommended this place to me, um, uh, an actual store that sells CBD. That's all they do. And they were able to give me a particular CBD that you wouldn't believe after the first dose, after the first time I took it, and this for those listening, this is the uh, sublingual oil. I just want to put this out there because I, I know people deal with injuries, people deal with chronic pain, and um, a lot of that stuff, you know, Advil, Aleve, it, it tears your liver up. Um, 
it's not good to take long term. And it says that on the bottle. That's not my scientific uh, research. It, it tells you it's not recommended for prolonged use. So for those who may be dealing with that type of stuff, just from my own experience, um, CBD was the answer for me. Um, probably get with a reputable dealer and and see what they recommend for your particular circumstance. But, you know, do your own research. But this was a key factor in helping myself recover from my injury. And I think that's important to note because had I not gotten my health back, you know, I would be in a different position, you know, so I would be, I would have less options. So I knew I had to get my health back. CBD was the key um, in allowing me to reduce that inflammation, that pain and begin to heal. And I did rapidly. So once I started taking that, I started healing and it still took several months, but it put me on track to, to heal up quite a bit. Um, I'm still, you know, not a hundred percent from where I was prior to the injury, but the CBD definitely helped. So I always endorse that when I can. Um, now that said, I made it through that. It was about 10 months, um, of a process of a recovery process. And then once I was uh, done with treatment and everything was said and done, I decided to make the transition and leave my employer at that time. And, um, you know, my wife had been working on, uh, working with a cleaning company and ironically she got let go. Uh, that's another story, but she got let go from her job and that left us in a very tough position again. And it was do or die. You know, I have a five-year-old son now. He was two when we moved out here. And again, I, I went through a series of challenges and adversity, but I knew what I had learned from the lawn care could translate over to any other business. And like I said, I, I laid the groundwork. I got to work on the website and did all that myself. I have no prior experience. I just did my best. And we still use the website I created, the content that I wrote and, and the marketing that I put together myself. You know, you have to wear many hats, but I want people to understand and, and not get overwhelmed at that idea this is the value that I'm looking to provide through the podcast. I faced these challenges. I learned the hard way. I did the work. I did the research to figure out how to get listed on, on certain platforms to get clients, how to market, how to do the basic SEO. And I'm going to actually walk people through this process and how they can get started with any business in the coming episodes. But that's my story. That's how we did it. And I, I did the numbers leading up to the decision to leave my job. I did the numbers and I determined that if we just booked one job, one average job of about, you know, 150 to 200 bucks, if we just booked one of those a day for the first month, and that's, that's about five days a week 
five, six days a week, just depending on uh, demand. I knew if we just booked one of those a day, we would have enough. We would be all right to clear three grand. And sure enough, first month, we cleared $3,500. So this was... This was, and that that's not big money, y'all. I mean, that, that was big money to me at that time. <laughs> you know, I was like, holy, you know, that's we were awesome, we were able to do that first month. Yeah. So I took, I had to take a lot of swings though. I, I swung in a lot of directions and you swing enough times, you're going to hit something. I got on platforms that didn't yield us any clients. I tried things that didn't work at all. You know, we made errors and we made mistakes along the way, but we took enough swings to hit something. And so this is what I'm saying. You can do this with any service related business. And when I realized that once that first month got through and I laid out projections for like the first six months, I'm like, okay, month one, we can do at least three grand Month two, we can do five grand. If we get more reviews and we get more leads, we can hit five grand. Month three, we can do 7,500. And we pretty much stayed on track the entire way through. We consistently exceeded the target uh, for for monthly earnings. And I want to say that, again, this applies to any industry. You can do it, whether you, whatever it may be. But I realized in that first month that I could have done this whole process. I could have done this whole thing in one month. That's what I realized. And that hurt a little bit, but it also, it was like, well, damn, I'm glad I didn't wait any longer. You know, so I want to encourage everyone. If you have an idea, if you have, if you're passionate about something or, or you've been wanting or thinking about starting a business, start having start by having fun with it and and you can start that by just planning writing it out you know have some fun with the idea of putting together what you would want to do your ideal life you know your ideal self-employment start by having fun with it dream it up you know write this stuff out and that because that's what i did i would have ideas i would write them down and you know, working and focusing on my job really kept me in that employee mindset. And it took everything falling apart, basically. And it took me getting injured and realizing I can't do all this hard labor forever. I'm going to need to hire people as soon as possible to start getting this work done. You know, I'm going to need to to do something for my own longevity, for my own sake. What if I were to get hurt again? You know, these are the things I started to think about. So the plan quickly became, okay, we need to go self-employed. We need to scale this up. We need to put people in place and provide a great workplace as well. And, you know, if they want to scale up or if they want to do their own company one day more power to them you know i don't want to hold anyone back that that works for us so i want to encourage people to think about this um i believe elon musk said something along the lines of uh taking 
long-term goals and turning them into short-term goals. I know I'm butchering this. I don't remember his exact wording, but I can say this. It took me eight years to do this on paper, but in reality, it only took one month. And I want people to understand that I could have done all this struggle and all the, the time and energy and blood, sweat and tears put into to the jobs that I was committed to and invested in over the years. Man, I could have been putting that into myself. I could have done this right out of high school. And there's there's no age limit. There's no too late, whether you have kids or don't have kids. There's no right or wrong answer here. Everyone can get started. Everyone can do this. Go ahead, Jerry. I think I think what you're saying is is to take long term goals and turn them into a short term reality. Absolutely. And I would encourage everyone to look at my eight year process and the reality that the transition was a one month process and keep that in your head. Turn your five year goals into into three month goals. You know what I'm saying? Turn your five year goals into three to six month goals if you can. And I, I want people yeah, to start can, thinking with that mindset. Yeah, because you can definitely overthink things, but oh, yeah. not only can you overthink things, and what I mean by that is is you can think it, rethink it, rethink it, and rethink it. And that's all good and fine to understand what potential uh you know, what the potential hurdles are, what the obstacles are, what the barriers to entry are, and all of those things that go with business. But at the same time, you've got to step past that first step of and say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid to do this. Let's do this. And the moment you take that step, even if you make a few mistakes, even if there's a few bumps along the way, guess what? You learn from those. And it's It's not going to be perfect. It's for the better. Failure is the process. Yeah. Failure is the process of success. You want to know what success looks like? You you see, you only see the flower when it blooms, okay? But the process of that flower growing, the flower is not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm failing. I'm not a flower yet. Listen, it's blooming. Let it start as a seed. Let it grow. Take care of it, okay? Failure is the recipe, the essence, the process and of that's, success. That's, that's the key. That's the key is, Eric, is, they, is that your listeners, anyone, I don't care who they are, cannot be afraid of that quote unquote failure, which I like to say, okay, it's just the fact that you didn't succeed in a particular task or whatever it is, because you learn from that. But if you're, if, if you, you can always remain the ostrich and keep your head in the sand, but you know, if mm. you don't take action, you can put anything on paper and say, no, that's not right. And, you know, it's not per, uh, you know, I can't get this just at some point you have to take it from paper and from thought and it has to become a reality and it has to become an action and, you know, words become action and actions become reality. And, and actions become success. And, and some of the things you don't succeed at, but you learn from those. And then you correct those and you modify that. 
and you make it work and you go, oh, wow, man, you know what? I've got this thing honed in. This is a money making mm-hmm. machine. Yep. You will get better along the way. I mean, look back. Learn. Yeah. Look at society. Look at society. Look at technology development. Look at societal development. We didn't just start nailing it. You know, society, the way people have dressed, the way people have uh, performed music and and different forms of art and everything has been rudimentary at one point. Everything has been at its early stages of development and everything you do is the same. It's the same thing. So don't expect everything to be perfect. Expect that resistance. Expect to fail many times and that's good because yes. failure is not the end yes. it's it's where you get all your good stuff that's it it's where you learn it's where the progress where is made not to make those mistakes again and exactly see, you have to understand the reason why you're addressing this in general terms instead of being business specific is because of like you said before and i and i and i uh say the same thing is that Hey, look, everybody's unique. Everybody has their own aspiration. Uh, everybody has their own uh, skill set of things that they can do that they feel comfortable with. Yep. Um, and so, you know, as a result, we speak about this generally. But the bottom line is, is you can show them, your listeners, you know how to take and something from con- concept, conception. Yep conception to inception yes conception to inception to take that first step doesn't matter what kind of business it is you've learned that already it it doesn't matter if it's in yards it doesn't matter if it's cleaning house a cleaning service whether it's commercial or residential it doesn't matter if it's um, uh, a listener of yours that says oh my god but i don't have any extra money but I'm willing to do anything. Okay. Yep. Well, you have a bucket and a squeegee. Let me show you how to clean some windows. Get yep. on YouTube, learn how to clean windows. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm just using that as an example, just throwing that out there of any of someone that really wants, has an aspiration and is inspired to become that entrepreneur, to take that step to, of, of, toward financial independence, that first step toward financial independence. That first step has to be taken. But before you take that first step, yes, that's why everyone uh, says, do you have a business plan? You know, okay, yeah, you can have a business plan, but don't think it to death. You can get it, get it, get it down, what you think is going to happen. And then guess what? Take the first step. Take that first step. You, you can write a business plan and hang it on the wall and 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 frame it or anything else. And nothing's going to happen until you take that first step. You That's can be it. Relatively sure, you can be relatively sure of what's going to happen when you take that first step. But you can be 100% sure if you never take it of exactly what's going to happen. And that's nothing. Not a damn thing. And that's absolutely yeah. right. You have to be willing to take action. And that's this is... This is the whole purpose. I know this this first episode has talked a lot about the mindset 
and some background story, but I want people to know a little bit more about who I am, how I've done it. I've had two uh, majorly successful businesses and that's lawn care and cleaning. Okay. I'm not pretending, I'm not pretending to be uh, something that I'm not or have done things that I haven't. Okay. But I do know, and I have helped others start, you know, friends, uh, really just friends and people that I've met through business, help them start their service related business or scale it up to the next level. And I knew, you know, one, one of my greatest passions is just helping people do that. So this is a medium to get that information out to help people understand how to take whatever their skill set is or whatever they like to do um, or even something they may want to do. uh, You can start as an employee. You can learn the business a little better. You know, you can start there. And if you want to do cleaning and uh, maybe because you've been doing it as an employee for a little bit and you, you say, hey, you know what? I may want to scale this up, or maybe you're a dog groomer. It's all the same. Okay. These you're going to word your, your copy different for each business and you're going to target a particular market, but the process of bringing this from conception to reality is the same across all of these service related businesses. And that's what I'm going to be covering. Yep. That's what I'm going to be covering in the, in episodes to come. So I want to leave and people. Like, Go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. I feel like, I feel like something that's something that should be important for your listeners to understand. And I under, I know why you had me tell those stories that that I have of you know what happened to me in my uh, situation, my particular situation through my upbringing is because see, really, I had no uh, no room to be afraid to take that step. I didn't even understand. I couldn't, I couldn't have that fear to take that step. There was no room for it. You know, as a result, I've become what's called an overachiever and you've become an overachiever where we don't necessarily overthink things, but you know, we, uh, I've become a workaholic. Oh my God. I hate to admit it. I am. Yeah, I have to, <laughs> but I enjoy what I'm doing um, and I know you do as well. Yeah. So with that being said, it's that, you know, your a lot of your listeners didn't face those adversities that I faced and everyone's adversities are entirely different, Eric. Yeah. And, you know, we not to the same magnitude or degree of the severe traumatic hardships that I faced as a child or the, or the, uh, the, the obstacles that you faced. Every one of them has that, but at some point, I mean, I hate to just redrive this same thing over and over. If you want to be successful and you want to uh, be an entrepreneur and you want to improve your life, you know, you've got to take the first step, but you already know how to prepare them to um, take that concept they have in mind and cause it to be a reality by taking that first step at its you know, inception of reality. You're absolutely right. And that's why I wanted to take 
the time right off the bat to focus on mindset, to give some real world, real life examples of, of ourselves. And there, there will definitely be more to come. But, you know, it, it is a matter of getting out of your comfort zone. And comfort is a challenge of its own. I know people that, that I'm consulting with right now who their greatest challenge is their parents have money. They are in a safety net where they, they don't have to do yep. anything. They want more, but they're just so comfortable. It, it, it's toxic to them. And so who, who stole my keys? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that, that up. Yep. I knew you were going to bring that up. Yep. Get out of the comfort zone. Yep. So I, whether you listen for those listening right now, whether you have to simulate your challenges in your own mind, whether you have to simulate your struggle, imagine if you were to get fired tomorrow for some people, that would be, that would be a real big issue. I don't, I don't want to leave those who are experiencing excess comfort. You know, a lot of times people are, are harder on them. Like, Oh, I don't feel sorry for them. Mommy and daddy are rich. Hey, it's a challenge of its own. I did. I certainly didn't have that challenge. I had more like you, but I don't want to leave them out. Comfort is a challenge. So I'm talking to those people as well. Don't sell yourself short. If you want more out of life, you got to get the hell up and go get it. And I don't know if you've seen that clip of uh, Dan Pena at his uh, QLA. He's got a video of these lions. He's got a video of these lions up. Um, and there's, there's a lion stalking all these gazelles or whatever it is running by. And then he's like, look. Most of you are like this one right here. And he's, he's pointing out the first lion is just kind of watching them go by, you know, watching them. Oh, maybe this one, maybe this one. Oh, the next one. Uh, next time I'll get the next one. There's, there's dozens and dozens of them running by. And then this big ass lion just jumps in there and jumps right on one of them. It's brutal, but it's, he did a, a great job with that and making the point. You got to get in there. Okay. The lion that gets, yeah that gets the kill, jumps on the shit and takes it down. You got to go after it. You got to get in there. And it, that's and one so of I my favorite. Wait. Yeah. I can hardly wait until you have the episodes where you start getting down to some really nuts and bolts about, hey, look, you know what? This is the mechanics of what needs to happen. This is what you've got to do. And I know you're going to show your listeners how to do what we're talking about eric i hate to cut this any uh, cut it short but i'm really i've got some other things that kind of pressing and we're approaching almost one o'clock my time but i know you're going to do that and you know all of this has been a a, a trying to get the right mindset and inspiration into your listeners but when you have people that start seeing that hey look this guy, you know, they already obviously see that you've done this yourself, that you can bring uh, small businesses to, to life and fruition, and that you can show them how to do that. Um, man, you know, we're, I've got an airplane flying over. 
Oh, that's all right. You know, you're going to have to wait a second. Let this airplane flow. Wow. But you're going to really help a lot of people, Eric, and uh, in 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 letting them know, and letting them discover things that they that would have taken them years to learn how to do. Oh yeah, and that's what See? a lot of that process was spent. Streamline. Oh yeah, you'll streamline that process. Yeah. So, so I had to take the said, time. You know the. I was going to say I had to take that time, not just working, but learning was was where I spent the majority of that that eight years, you know, learning where to even start. And that's what I do want to streamline, just like you're talking about. And I know we've got to wrap this up coming up here. Um, But listen, I want to leave people with a couple of things before we go. You want a blueprint to get started right now? It's this. Don't make excuses. Stick to this blueprint right here. Determine what you want and determine what you don't want out of your current circumstance. Move towards what you want and move away from what you don't want, what you don't want. But first, I want you to take a pen and paper and write it all down. Start there. And I I also want you, so that's just general direction. But I also want you to determine where your skill sets lie and where your interests lie. And then from there, in the next episodes, we can move towards how we're going to apply that into an actual business plan. So this is a quote from myself that it's something I refined after listening to audiobooks and, and just getting my mind together. And it's this present moment determines direction. What you do right now determines your direction of what's coming up next. Intentions determine all of the simultaneously developing uncontrollables, otherwise known as destiny or fate. So keeping the right intention, keeping your values close along the way, I believe is key to our success. And again, we'll go more into this in future episodes, but I want people to start there start with that and jerry i want to thank you for taking the time to interview and share some of your story and we'll definitely have more to cover along the way between you and i um you guys will see jerry on here uh, multiple times coming up but i definitely wanted to give people a look inside of your story and I'm, I was so glad yeah. to have you on as the first guest. And I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Well, Eric, I'm glad to be here. And, uh, you know, you've, uh, I, I'm really, really proud of the things you've done. You know, you have an awesome family, man. We love you guys and your family. And uh, you remind me a lot of myself. <laughs> uh, our circumstances are a little different, Yeah, you know, slightly. But, uh, but, you know, we're going to share some other things that, uh, tragic things, unfortunately, that happened in my life, uh, even, you know, just, you know, kind of as a prelude to your listeners that, you know, even though once I got straightened out, there's other uh, traumatic events that happened during the course of my life. And so that your listeners can understand that every one of them are unique. 
We all have tragedies. We all have inspirations. We all have aspirations. And we overcome adversity in overwhelming ways. Um, and so I'll share some more things that you're already familiar with yep. um, that I faced along the way. And, uh, and I think your listeners will find it really interesting so that they can understand that they're not the only individual in life that, that face adversity. We all do. Uh, it's just a matter of whether you pick yourself up, brush yourself off and move forward. And Jerry, I know you've got a lot more value and insight to share with people. And we're going to cover more of your story along, uh, down the road. And I've got some, some other individuals coming on just as kind of a, a quick heads up. We've got credit professionals. We've got real estate We've got uh, psych psychologists. I mean, we've we've got a lot of things lined up. So there's awesome. going to be a lot of individual value shared and a lot of just fundamentals that people need to go out and take feasible action. So thanks again, Jerry. And I'm going to close this out here and reminding people the mantra, the mission, whatever they want to call it, and it's this: you have the power you are the solution resist defy object take care of your world